Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Happy New Year. This is our first podcast of 2020. Rick, I cannot believe we are here. This is going to be perhaps a political year for the ages. I feel like we've been in 2020 for a while, so my, my brain <laughs> okay. has been scrambled on this. But yes, we get to we get to date the checks differently now, and uh, we're coming up on it. It is uh, it is very real. We know that uh, this month of January is going to be about as action packed as uh, as one can possibly imagine. Between, I mean, I guess February could be a little more so. But it could uh, be. It okay, could so, be. so let me let me just to, just to kind of orient us here. Uh, we here we are, January first. Uh, how many days till we first see our, our, our first votes cast, the Iowa caucuses? I'm, I'm going to go with 34 days until the Iowa caucuses. Uh, how many days till the uh, till the uh, ever critical uh, ABC News debate in well, New Hampshire? Add four to that. It's 38 days. It'll be the Friday after that Monday of voting in the caucuses in Iowa. And then how many days until the New Hampshire primary? And that'll be that'll be February 11th. So that is. 42 days. All within 42 days. And then, of course, the uh, the, the election, the general election is how ten, far ten away? Months, 10 months okay, away. Ten that's, months, in, right. that's in November. Okay. Uh, and and uh, one more. Uh, how many days until the release of Front Row at the Trump Show by um... – by, by you. Well, you better – if you don't know the answer to that, we have problems. Is this – wait, is this your first book hype of the, uh, of the uh, new this year? Is my, this is the first right, book hype of 2020. Right, uh, I think it should be on everybody's calendars. Uh, March 31st is the day. All right. Uh, I can say there are going to be some surprises in this book, but that's not what we're talking about now. I want to, I want to, I don't, and I don't want to spend much time looking back. I want to look forward because here we are. You're going to be spending a lot of uh, time, I, I assume, in Iowa and New Hampshire over the next forty some odd days. You know, we may or may not have a Senate trial going on here that may limit some of my uh, travel, but I certainly plan to be out there. Um, this this could be, I mean, assuming that we actually do get a trial. We have a trial happening going right into or maybe simultaneous with uh, Iowa, New Hampshire. We have a State of the Union. Don't forget the president's giving a State of the Union address in the midst of all of this. This is going to be pretty intense. Call it the next 45 days may chart the course for the – American history? For, for the, the rest of the for world. For the rest of the republic. It, it, it sure feels like that. And, you know, talking to the campaigns, they're sort of intimidated by the schedule. There's there's almost nothing you can do about it at this stage. And, yeah, there's debates left and there's fundraising quarters to meet and there's lots of retail stops to do. But there's a sense that events are outside of campaigns' hands at this point. And it's very hard to control your own destiny in this kind of news environment. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you about uh, – I find amazing is that for all that we've been through over the past year, the field is actually incredibly stable. Yeah. I mean, somebody was showing me some polling from a year ago that had Biden at the top, followed by by some combination (laughs) of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, I mean, it's been kind of frozen. Even I mean, we've seen some. There have been some surprises. I mean, the the, the flame out of Beto O'Rourke, the flame out of uh, Kamala Harris. Um, you know, John Delaney not catching fire. Uh, uh, you know, there 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 have been some surprises. But I mean, essentially, 
the top tier of this race has not changed. Everything happened, yet nothing happened somehow. And you, you, it speaks to the stability of these two men at the top, the one and two candidates who have uh, dedicated, loyal supporters um, who are diametrically opposed to each other as well. They are sort of the, the yin and yang of the 77, 78-year-old white men. Uh, but uh, it, it, also, it also suggests that there are some surprises ahead of us because we know the history of these things. It's very rare that things go entirely wire to wire. And it's very possible these next 45 days has a lot more meaningful action than the previous 12 months, that once you get into the voting, things are going to happen that are you know, far more unexpected than, than anything we've seen so far. But look, if you're, you're just buying stock of candidates right now, you could do worse than just going with the two front runners in Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. They have gone wire to wire with the support for all the ups and downs, all the predictions, uh, all of the new entries, the flame outs, what have you. There is just a, a, a truly remarkable stability to the top of the race. The, the, there have been some debate over uh, uh, Iowa. B- bring, bring us up to speed. How are the Iowa caucuses going to look this year? Are they going to look the way they've always looked? couple of significant changes. One is that uh, you'll actually have a full reporting of who showed up for whom at the beginning. That's never happened before. We actually know essentially the popular vote. Uh, the other big change is uh, getting in the weeds of, of how the caucuses work. Uh, it used to be that you could do all sorts of gamesmanship if you were what's called a viable candidate and someone else isn't, where you could kind of swing some of your supporters to, to different folks to try to beat them down. Uh, you can't do that as much anymore. You can, there's still going to be combinations and people reorienting in, inside the rooms, but there's only going to be one big reorganization, and you're not going to be allowed if you're a front-running candidate to kind of boost someone up to, to the expense of somewhere else. So there'll be a little less deal-making, uh, but it's still a, a, a pretty— You still have to show up at 7 o'clock show on up. Monday night. It's still a pretty closed process by things go. Their plans for absentee or telephone caucuses haven't really worked. There's some satellite caucuses going on, but it's, it's mostly going to be the people in the rooms just like it always been in all 99 counties. Wow. We, we talked uh, a, a few weeks ago about the scenario where you could see uh, different winners in each of the four states. I yeah. mean, what, what, how is that looking to you right now? Well, it's, 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 it is feasible that you have people that will, uh, because, of the, because of the way things are being reported, you could have as many as four different winners because you'll have a popular vote. Then you'll have uh, a reoriented vote where people can, if, they, if, they, if they're part of someone that isn't quote unquote viable, you don't get 15 percent at a particular caucus, you can move around a little bit make someone else viable. That then gets distilled down into uh, into delegate equivalents, state delegate equivalents. That gets distilled further into national delegates. So all the gamesmanship means you could have a lot of different winners in a confusing night. So, you know, I will say as, as stable as the top of this race has been, that there have been some surprises over the past uh, year, really year and a half. And I would argue that some of those surprises have been felt first here on powerhouse politics would you would you i would not argue with that argument so i'm going to say that for for me two of the two of the big kind of uh interesting surprising developments of 2019 on the 2020 front uh were andrew yang and Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, I mean these are these are two of the younger candidates that that, that in the field. Uh, neither of them had any experience on the national on national landscape. And you looked at this a, a huge field of of Democratic contenders, the very deep bench of senators and governors and former governors and very prominent mayors and the like. And uh, I think you'd be hard pressed to put Andrew Yang a year ago or Pete Buttigieg on anyone's short list. If you said there's going to be seven candidates at a debate 
at the end of 2019, would anyone have named Andrew Yang and Pete Buttigieg over Kamala Harris or Beto O'Rourke or Kirsten Gillibrand or Cory Booker, who failed to qualify for a debate, or Julian Castro? I can't imagine that being the case. So our, our research team here at Powerhouse Politics uh, took a look back at some of the early moments of this cycle on Powerhouse Politics. The archives, indeed. Yeah, the archives. And I noticed something really interesting looking specifically – first of all, we, we had a very early interview uh, with, with uh, Mayor Pete. Do you remember this? June 13th of 2018. 2018. 2018. So that's a full year before any of the debates. So, so we're talking like a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. OK? So I'm going to play something from that interview and then I'm going to play something from an Andrew Yang interview. And I want to see if you can kind of discern – any commonality here. I mean, these are very different candidates. Mayor Pete from Powerhouse Politics, June 13th, 2018. In 2020, we're going to find out which of the rules of politics still apply and which ones have been broken forever. You know, the president of the United States is basically a game show host. So I think any traditional answers about uh, paths to power in this country uh, have at least been suspended, if not uh, done away with forever. So Mayor Pete was essentially predicting his breakthrough by pointing to what happened with Donald Trump. Laying the groundwork for a candidacy that a lot of people thought, well, it would be a long shot at, at best. This, this, this was your interview. Yeah. You and Mary Alice, I mm-hmm. believe. Mary Alice Parks. Mary Alice Parks. What was your reaction listening to him? Were you thinking you were just talking to this some um, small town mayor in Indiana? I mean, you can tell us now. What, what, what was your reaction? He had run for DNC chair and lost to Tom Perez. Uh, actually, a lot a lot of people think that's because of Barack Obama's intervention in that DNC uh, chairman's race after the 2016 election. But he made a mark, and people recognized who he was, and he was known as a rising star. But rising, it's hard to explain what the trajectory looks like exactly. He was still a prospect in the minors for, I think, most people's perspective. He was the mayor of South And not a first-round draft pick. He wasn't a guy with a... No, I mean, look, no one could pronounce his name. As we said at the show at the time, he was an intriguing profile uh, as openly gay, as an openly gay man, as a military veteran, as uh, as someone that had succeeded in being reelected in a in a red state, although not statewide, as 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 he was to test things as state treasurer, he lost pretty badly statewide. Uh, a lot of folks just thought, well, you know, maybe he's going to make a name for himself to potentially run for senate, run for governor, and then come back in a decade or two. And still be younger than Joe Biden is now, and then run for president. But then. if you look at it, he, he's raising some big, big questions here. That I mean, it, it, it's which rules in our politics have been broken forever. Now let's go to Andrew Yang, which was a more recent, but still before the first debate. Am I right? That's right. Um, this is this is from May fifteenth of twenty nineteen. Andrew Yang. I'm talking about the lived experience of many, many Americans. Where I say, look, are your stores and malls closing? Are you making less? Do you feel like your your future is in jeopardy because the economy is changing beneath your feet? And many Americans can relate to those statements. These are the actual problems that got Donald Trump elected in 2016. So there you have Andrew Yang on yep. Powerhouse Politics a month before the first debate when still he was seen as the longest of long shot, more of a long shot than, 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 than Mayor Pete. Yes. I mean, Never been elected um, anything, yeah. And he's also invoking Donald Trump. Yeah. And, and I, I think you can – the through line of, of, 
of Pete Buttigieg and Andrew Yang and what's caught on for Democrats, the surprises, the, the people that, that overperformed expectations and had fantastic 2019s, has been that both of them cast themselves as the anti-Donald Trump, the exact opposite of Donald Trump. But they're very Trumpian in a couple of ways. Number one that I would, I would posit is this argument that uh, there's a forgotten middle of the country. There's people in this country for whom things just aren't working right now. And that the traditional political answers, uh, as embodied by senators and governors, are like, just aren't working. So let's look for something radically different. The other thing that I think both of them uh, both of them saw early on is the fractured media environment and the need to do and be everywhere. And Mayor Pete played this strategy, I think, very, very to, to, to a savvy degree of just saying yes to lots of interview requests and being and doing everywhere. Andrew Yang uh, appeared in the Joe Rogan podcast in addition to Powerhouse Politics and saw his campaign uh, catch fire early on. And whereas you've had a lot of senators and governors take very traditional media paths of this is how you roll things out and these are the I kind mean, of I mean, I got to tell you, you we, we, we couldn't get an interview to save our lives with Kamala Harris, uh, uh, with you know, Beto O'Rourke went, uh, went, went when he was hot for yep. a long time. Uh, you know, uh, Cory Booker. I mean, now Cory Booker is, you know, is is, is doing this. But I, I agree with you that this is uh, and, I, and I couldn't understand it. I mean, th- this kind of cautious, we've got a, you know, we've got a big campaign, yeah. we're going to roll out, we're not going to do anything that, you know, might throw us off our off our game plan. We're not going to do interviews, we're not going to do, uh, you know, impromptu press availabilities on, on, on the trail. It, it 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 led at least some of these candidates into into nothingness. I yeah, mean, I mean, do, taking that it was tra- the Jeb Bush approach. This is what Jeb Bush did in in, in twenty sixteen. Again, was. until he was you know on life support. It, it was, and and it's the it's these it's these two candidates in particular that took bolder different approaches, maybe because they had to. I mean, if you're Andrew Yang or Pete Buttigieg, you can't really say no to a lot. You've got to do Probably Bernie to Sanders does that too, we should well, say. Well, we should say so does Joe Biden. And it, there's something different about the Biden and Sanders persistence in this because they, they are the front runners. It, perhaps they just had enough residual support or just brand loyalty that they didn't have to do as much to put themselves out there. Or perhaps they're kind of living on... No, I, I mean that, I mean, Sanders does a, a hell of a lot of interviews. He, yes, but but his campaign has looked a lot more traditional this time than it did last yes. time. Yes. This, this time versus last time. Biden has been a much more much more cautious. My question is, so if 2019 rewarded the kind of least traditional candidates, does 2020 change that? Once the voting starts a month from now, is there something more traditional about the way the Democratic primary process uh, plays out that is going to reward the people that put in the time and the organization the way you always have. And that would be right now that the Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, maybe Elizabeth Warren in that category as well. And then you have the the, the bizarre X factor of, uh, of Mayor Bloomberg, who yeah. uh, is not even trying to participate in the debates, not trying to raise money because he doesn't need it, but doesn't need, doesn't, you know, care that means he won't be in the debates not participating in iowa not really participating in new hampshire just preparing for and already starting an all-out advertising blitz uh for for super tuesday look you you've gotten on my case in the past we, we can acknowledge in 2016 when you know i we, we game out scenarios of what can happen and i invoked this idea of, of a trump victory you thought i was nuts now mostly <laughs> mostly because I kind of sketched out this, nuts, but okay, th- th- yeah. this scenario of a 269, tie, 269 yeah, yeah. electoral college breakdown, et cetera. Okay, so that didn't happen. That, right. didn't, that didn't right. happen. But I look at this, Rick, and, and I see 
the, the real possibility of several different winners coming out of the early primary states. Maybe it won't be four different winners in the first four states, but certainly it looks likely from this vantage point, and we're getting closer and closer, that there will be different winners in, in at least two or three of those states. And the idea that you have this this Bloomberg X factor uh, aimed at, at at Super Tuesday, uh, the the persistence of the Bernie Sanders, you know, fifteen percent or more across the board, it looks to me like we really could be heading this time towards a convention where the nominee is not determined on the first ballot. An actual contested convention, or the, the dream of political reporters for decades, okay. almost realized I, in the, the, I mean, in the last one. It, it looks more likely it looks at really this stage likely. than it did at the same stage four years ago or To get delegates, you need to come in. Re- remind us what you need to do in each of the states. You need to get 15% or more in either the statewide total or in a congressional district total, um, it, it, which means a couple of things. One is it's, it's very hard for um, to, to, to get a delegate at all. So all these candidates yep. that are happy with their 5 or 6 percent. Yeah, they, they don't get squat. You don't but. get anything. But if you, if you are in, it becomes very hard for a candidate to, to run away with any state. There's no winner-take-alls on the Democratic right. side. Everything's proportional. And so unless it's an absolute blowout, epic blowout proportions, everyone that's a major candidate is going to walk away with something. Bernie Sanders is going to be getting delegates in every single state. Almost certainly, yes. Yes, that's right. Um, and uh, and if Joe Biden is nearly as strong as you'd, you'd assume that he is, other than Vermont, where Bernie actually could blow out everyone, uh, Joe Biden will be picking up delegates in lots of places, as will other candidates. And I think the other factor to add to that is you have a couple of candidates who have built real movements, whether they are long and persisting ones. Andrew Yang, I'd put in that category. Um, Mayor Pete, where his supporters go. Tulsi Gabbard, who's who's pulling you know, some percentage of, of voters uh, in her direction that may not necessarily be Democratic primary voters. That's Hillary Clinton's concern, as she is as she has voiced. So yes, all, the ingredients are all there. Uh, the realities we'll have to see how it plays out because uh, things get much more intense once the voting starts. The pressure becomes absolutely nuts on candidates to, to get out of the way once momentum gets started. Um, but we are looking at a realistic possibility that the first couple of states have different winners, no question. And then the X factor of Donald Trump. Uh, so what what is you know Trump? I don't know if you know this. I, I, I covered the White House, so I'm a little little closer vantage point here. But he he likes to be the center of attention. Mm. I think that's uh, I think that's a fair statement. And and I heard I heard he's getting he got impeached. Yeah, so, well, yeah, and you've got we that. Have that. It's, yeah, it's, and, and and we still don't know what's going to go on with the uh, the trial and all that. Yeah. But uh, you know what what is how does Trump counter program yeah. uh, the, uh, the the Democratic primaries? What does that look like? I think this is going to be uh, this is going to be interesting. Anyway, let's take a very quick break. I want to come back with a quick check in from the actual campaign trail. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Now, Rick, one of the one of the great things about this stage of 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 the campaign is that we have a team of embedded political reporters uh, that, that we've all been working with, but you have been working especially close with, who now become kind of front and center of our news coverage of this campaign. Yeah, and they have the front so, front row seats to history. Well, front row at the at the tri- yeah. oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah, yeah, so, sorry, exactly, so, exactly. Another, another book tie in there. Right? No, but, uh, but, but, but March thirty first, uh, Dutton Publisher uh, Division of uh, Penguin Random House. You, we, what, 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 what the, the great thing about this is uh, the the campaign embeds who we are all incredibly jealous yeah. of are out there from the very early stages. Get to know everything about these candidates. 
Yeah, and and it's it is it is an incredible experience. Um, they they're tired. They're working tirelessly. Uh, they, they carry are, all that equipment. Yeah, around. it's oh my you know, and, and it's cold in New Hampshire and Iowa. It's, it's actually you, cold in Iowa too. Yeah, it is yeah. in both of the both of those states. But uh, but it, no, it's a pleasure in my job to be able to, to work with such talented young uh, young professionals. Uh, but we're, we're pleased to be joined now on the phone with by one of them, one of our stars out there, Beatrice Peterson, uh, our ABC all News right. embed reporter who has been uh, covering Mayor Pete Buttigieg as well as Tulsi Gabbard, and we want some tales from the trail from you, Beatrice. Because the, the Mayor Pete phenomenon, as John and I have been discussing uh, today, is, is really an extraordinary one. And, and this is a guy that uh, a year ago, no one could pronounce his name. No one really knew what this whole thing was about. And suddenly, he's a, definitely a top four candidate. And a lot of people are talking about him as a potential winner in Iowa. What have you seen on the ground? How, do, how has he connected with voters uh, in the early states that, uh, from, from your vantage point? Well, I mean, I, thanks for having me, Rick. I think, you know, you brought up a very interesting point about how he just quickly shot up. Uh, I think a lot of people forget the night that really made him a household name, I would say, is his remarks during a CNN town hall um, at South by Southwest. Um, it was interesting because it, there was a lineup of three uh, different contenders who had already announced that they were running. Um, and it was two millennials that night, Tulsi Gabbard and Mayor Pete. And it just ended up being uh, Buddha Judge's night. Um, he just was, the crowd seemed to gravitate towards him. Um, and they had, a lot of people there had listened to various people throughout the day. So he wasn't um, the freshest candidate or the freshest sound. Um, but the day before that, it's, it's just fascinating to me because he came after Elizabeth Warren the day before um, that was a South by Southwest event. The room cleared out after Warren left. Um, however, the crowd that stuck around, it may have been 50 people at the most um, compared to earlier at the event where it was 250 Um I wouldn't have imagined that that one moment the next day would have catapulted his um, his race. Um, he's actually heading to Iowa, and he's going to have his 21st trip in the state. He's visited 45 counties and had 100 stops. And there's something about Mayor Pete and the generational change. He talks about winning the era. He's really connecting with a lot of voters. They want something different. Um, they want to, Mayor P talks about changing the channel. They want to do that. Um, as of 2020, there's a new mayor in South Bend, and it is not Mayor Pete. His term ended. Um, he handed it off to an old high school friend and former chief of staff. Uh, so now I guess we call him former Mayor Pete, um, or I guess Mayor Pete as he's more, uh, if he likes to introduce himself. So it, it's a new era for Mayor Pete. Um, swinging into the new half of the election cycle. Yeah, I've seen it said that if he becomes president, he'll be, called, be known as President Mayor Pete. Uh, so we'll <laughs> we'll see how what how the nickname holds now that he's a former mayor. But Beatrice, uh, on this point, I mean, you've you've spent a lot of time with Tulsi Gabbard as well, uh, and uh, but with Mayor Pete, both of them are not even forty years old. They definitely represent generational change. Uh, I, I'm curious in your conversations with voters and watching the interactions that he has. 
is there is there some kind of unknown X factor here? Is there something that just makes it work for him that that meets the yearning of Democratic voters at this time, or is it is it really the profile that he just looks and sounds and is as different as the current president? Well, it's interesting. Um, other people who talk about generational change, um, a lot of the voters who talk about that, I hear one of two things when they say generational change and. It's generational change, and I'm gravitated towards this message, which might be Tulsi Gabbard for some voters. And then I'll hear generational change and something else for Mayor Pete, uh, whether it is the executive experience that he has as a mayor or um, his his background with just being speaking so many different languages and so many different I really so many different cultures. It really resonates with a freshness, a newness that's not a Washington insider. There's definitely, I would say, a little bit of an X factor. Um, We've seen it on the campaign trail um, numerous times where Mayor Pete will be asked a question maybe in another language. And although most of the audience may not be able to understand what he's saying, his ability to connect with crowds on a personal level just, just sets him a little bit different than the rest of the field. There's been times where I've been in press gaggles and there's been multiple reporters speaking French. And, you know, um, Mayor Pete's staff have joked about, well, is this a French press conference or an American? <laughs> um, and Mayor Pete just goes with the flow. So his ability to really uh, quickly pivot uh, makes him a lot different from most of the other candidates in the race. Um, so it's very much uh, the unpredictability of Mayor Pete. So uh, and we, we don't want to we, we, we know you're on the trail and, and I, I, I believe you were in New Hampshire and you, and you crossed over the border. My, my sources tell me into Massachusetts uh, <laughs> uh, for, for lunch. But uh, I just want to get a sense. And, and again, the, the, the life of the life you've been living is 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 a fascinating one. Um, having having done something similar in, in, in my past to be out there. And basically, to, to dedicate a, a year plus, close to two years of your life to a uh, you know to, to a campaign, and not be running for office is an incredible <laughs> thing. So, I, 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 what I'm curious about is your your relationship with Pete, uh, with Mayor mm-hmm. Pete. So you were out there, you you saw him on the trail when you know nobody thought he had really any chance whatsoever, and, and before he had broken through in any way. Um, what, 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 what's that relationship like? What's the, what are the inter- interactions like? Well, Mayor Pete is a very interesting guy. Um, he sometimes tends to be a little bit more introverted than I think a lot of people, um, know. It's not uncommon to happen to be staying at the same hotel in a small city with the mayor and see, look out the window and see him running. <laughs> he runs in the morning and he really values his workout. Um, we've joked with him uh, behind the scenes. We saw him running in probably 30-degree weather. And we said, Mayor Pete, it's cold outside. He says, well, you know, I'm from the Midwest. This isn't cold. <laughs> so um, it, it's a very unique relationship. Some days you end up seeing the candidate um, everywhere you go. It may be trying to get coffee in the morning. It may be trying to um, just get a quick bite to eat at the end of the day. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun. The last time I saw Mayor Pete, um, he told, he said to me, he says, you're everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you're everywhere. I'm everywhere with you. So it's, it's a lot of fun, um, 
running into these candidates because you get to see a best sense of who they are as a person, not on the stump, not um, on the bus or at these big campaign rallies, but who they are is just a regular person who's trying to be the next commander in chief. Well, it's an awesome experience. You're doing a great job with it, and and I hope you you relish every moment, even though uh, it, it it can be a pain. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, uh, I mean, you have to do everything out there. It is it is a grueling uh, but once in a lifetime experience. So, uh, thank you for joining us, and good luck on the trail. Thank you. Take care. All right, take care. Th- those days are about to change. Yeah, because yeah. As you get in, as as those first votes are cast. First of all, the the candidates at the lower tier disappear. The candidates that are left, you have a, now a you know a, a mob of media following their every move. Uh, but the early primary days, there there's really nothing like it. That's right. It, it, I'm nostalgic already, thinking from the other side of this. It's going to be a busy a, a busy time. But but the, the point that Beatrice made there, you know, just an ordinary person who wants to be the next commander in chief. I mean, think about <laughs> think about that. And this you know this this field that we we started the year with 23, 24 Democratic candidates. You know, now by most counts, you're down to the, the mid teens, but only seven. Or her making debate stages, it it has winnowed in its way, and I am stuck between these two different competing notions that I think we got out today. That in some ways this race hasn't changed at all in its fundamentals with who the front runners are. Uh, the front runners usually end up winning. In, in other ways, there's been huge surprises in terms of the candidates who didn't catch on, in terms of some late entries, and in terms of a couple of candidates who seem to have terrific 2019s and just overperform at every at every stage. Can you keep that? going when you get into 2020, when the voters actually have a stay, uh, say starting what, 34 days from now or so? That's the big question. All right. On that note, Happy New Year. Uh, this will be, be a fantastic year, I predict, for the uh, uh, at least for the ABC News political unit. Uh, <laughs> well poised to cover this campaign and to cover it thoroughly. That is all the time we have now. Thank you to Angie Yak and Susie Liu and the entire Powerhouse Politics team. We'll be back next week. 